Clinics working through COVID-19 operational risks. Welcome to the Global Risk Regulators series on banking and financial regulation. For more information about GRR, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. In this episode, we are looking at operational risk, in particular, how banks coped with the rapid population lockdowns to stop the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic, which saw most bank staff having to work from home. In particular, we are going to explore the challenges of remote working in terms of banks maintaining compliance functions, dealing with cyber risks, the challenges dealing with paperwork and interacting with supervisors under these conditions. We'll also discuss how all these factors will impact bank business models going forward. For this discussion, I am delighted to welcome Kerry Peacock, Head of Operations EMEA and International Head of Operations for MUFG, and also Heather Adams, a Managing Director in Accenture's Risk Practice. In response to population lockdowns due to COVID-19, Banks did a remarkable job moving entire workforces covering compliance through to trading floors from massive offices to remote working. How did they do that in such a short time with minimal disruption? Kerry, what was your experience with that? I think the main thing here is that we, it wasn't optional. We had to do this, which forced perhaps a lot of the thing that we've been thinking about anyway, but, but it kind of forced the fact, which, which I'll come on to a little bit later on, the entire industry had to move quickly and the real key to this was technology yeah we have people sitting at desks in big offices throughout the city uh, you know across various locations there's very few institutions that are literally either all in one building or if they're in one building that you know they could be you know 20 floors apart so you know very few people are all in the in the very same place um so, so technology is, is the enabler here. So to be able to make those systems available in the home space is, is, is what enabled this. Now, to do that in a secure way was, was absolutely key. But, you know, the technology has, has advanced so greatly, I think, in, in, you know, in the last five years even, that the the protection that we enjoy in the workplace in terms of, of of IT security is largely available at home, depending on how you're accessing those systems. Yeah. So yeah. so I think that we were we were able to do that through 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 technology. The workforce, as I said, you know, we'll work on different floors. We'll work work in different buildings. We'll be spread across the city you know, if not the world. So you know, as as MUFG, we're we're in three different locations. So to all intents and purposes, we're working remotely anyway. So once you get over the uh, the mental uh, thing of, oh, God, I'm not going to be in the office, but no, you can still log on to those same systems. Um, okay, then you know, might have to work in different ways. Again, we can come on to that later. But, yeah. but largely access to your technology stack is, is what enabled that for me. Um, and I think alongside technology, they're very... Uh, the, the 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 other critical piece, if you like, was communicating it effectively and clearly internally. You know, yeah. making sure that everyone knew what they were doing, 
what they needed in terms of support, how the team was going to work. So the human element, if you like, was all about communication. The very practical element was all about technology. This is the investment that a bank like like yours has been making in technology, I guess, over several years, because uh, I know banks have been trying to digitize. I, I guess this is where it kind of all really paid off, because this, this was kind of like an unusual emergency and, and a big disruption to normal ways of working. Banks have invested, um, you know, you'll have people um, that, that, that do days work, at, you know, do work at home anyway as part of their normal working pattern, depending on whether that was, you know, large scale or small scale. Yeah. We know that works. So all we were doing was scaling that up. Right. And, and I think that's what the industry, you know, mo most banks might have, I don't know, uh, an 80% office footprint with 20% of people working from home or on holiday or off sick. Uh, but you have a certain amount of your workforce working from home. Therefore, all you're doing is scaling it up and saying, well, instead of, you know, 5% of people working from home, it's going to be 95% of people working from home. And Heather, I mean, you, you, you do a lot of work with banks and you probably help them um, with, with doing, do, making this move um, sort of towards remote working. Can, can you tell me what you saw and what you experienced, please? So I would definitely echo what Kerry said. I think banks are already quite um, extensive existing users of digital technologies and they have made strong investments in recent years in areas around business continuity planning, and security. And I think typically left banks in a really strong position. I think uh, in particular, those that are more international in nature um, fared best because they're already used to working very collaboratively across geographies in a virtual way. Uh, perhaps some of those um, that were more centered within the UK perhaps um, had a little bit more work to do around their technology, but they were able to move pretty fast. Okay. Part of that, I think, was also due to the preparedness and sophistication of a lot of the third parties that banks typically work with. You know, the partners that they have who are providing cloud services, technologies and operations staff um, were also able to react pretty quickly. Now, OK, so if we look at, um, you know, work in areas such as trading, investment mm -hmm. banking, compliance, these all rely heavily on teamwork, brainstorming, the sharing of ideas and so on. I, I just wonder, I mean, maybe this one for, for, for you, Kerry, um, is that team dynamic being lost at all due to remote working? And, and what is being done or could be done to try and sustain that team dynamic in this uh, new environment? Working from home, you know, does have a large number of advantages. Um, although, you know, everybody's situation is different, so everybody's got their own unique challenges as, as an individual. But yeah. I think for me, one of the key functional challenges, if you like, that we experience in working from home, it's very difficult to replace brainstorming around a table, I think. Yeah. Um, it can be compensated for, but there is nothing like that face-to-face -face meet where you can just chuck ideas around. Um, you can show people, and I know you can do this digitally. You, know, you can show people what you're drawing on a piece of paper, et cetera. But you know, physically being able to do that uh, in the same environment is, is probably to me about the only thing that isn't quite there yet. Um, but a lot of the processes and everything else is, is, is absolutely there. And, you know, there are functions that do have 
a, a stronger reliance on teamwork. Um, and, you know, they've moved to Microsoft team or uh, video calling, uh, you know, WebEx, right, etc. cetera. Um, but I, I don't think you'll ever be able to fully replace that teamwork or brainstorming. And as such, I think as we come out of where we are, you know, people talk about the new normal. Um, I don't think we'll ever go back to how we were. But meanwhile, I don't think we'll ever stick to having, you know, 98% of our people working from home. You will have that hybrid model. And one of the key, I, I think, one of the key functions that will be an in-office performed function. And, okay, that office might be more of a remote office rather than a, you know, a centre of the city office. But that office place will be for some of those functions i think one of those key functions is for that it is for that brainstorming we're standing up a project what should it look like etc but then the remote working gives you access to resources that you wouldn't have in the office um so so there's pros and cons but i think that that brainstorming to me sharing ideas whiteboarding at the moment i i think that that is you know uh, that's not optimal i think still that personal interaction uh, is, is needed i think the ceo of netflix the other day was was saying uh, making very similar comments to what you you were making so heather can you talk us through how other banks are facing up to, to, to this challenge of you know keeping the team spirit and 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 having them work together effectively just as they might do in a in a big open plan office yeah, I think it's about how you use the different tools that are available. So trying to get the right balance of large and small group meetings using the online technologies and making sure that um, people perhaps who are more junior in a team are really confident to ping their supervisor or colleagues on an instant messenger, for example, because I yeah. think one of the fears early on was that you would avoid that sort of office coaching where someone could walk up to another desk or tap someone on the shoulder and just ask a quick question but I do think people are now getting more confident in using instant messenger and, and things like that for those again for the brainstorming and workshops we've got virtual whiteboards and we can put sticky notes on a electronic screen but um it, it is a little bit harder than a real in-person brainstorming around a whiteboard I think people have also had to get really creative about the more social and networking aspects. Um, yeah. And I think, again, there's no real um, replacement for going for a beer after work. Um, but I have seen people getting quite creative around um, sort of both virtual social networking sessions with quizzes and treasure hunts and, um, you know, virtual happy hours and things like that. So um, there's, there's been a good spirit, I think, in most of the banks that I've seen in terms of just trying to retain that sense of community. Yeah, I think that's very, very important. Actually, Heather, um, given Accenture has long been helping firms digitize, maybe you could answer this this next question. Now, <laughs> as, as we all know and, and referred to earlier in this conversation, banks have been very wedded to physical paperwork, at least until COVID-19 struck. So what I want to ask is, what kind of challenges have paper-based systems posed for banks and their compliance functions? And how have they been tackled with so many staff working from home? 
I think, um, you know, steps that had already been taken were to try and replace some of the paperwork with scanning and digital copies or evidencing of things. But there are also certain areas which have had to really accelerate in terms of their digital transformation in response to recent events. A key area is really around onboarding processes. So yeah, when people yeah. want to open new accounts or take on new products and services, and, and many are doing that, you know, with new lending avenues available or, or even, you know, needing to change some of their, their mortgage products or, or whatever as personal circumstances change, there has been a real need to make sure that people can um, apply for those things and get access to those things using digital channels. Yeah. So it's really accelerated, I think, um, the movement towards being able to provide evidence in digital formats. Uh, for example, one way that some organizations now verify that they're talking to a real person who is who they say is using video. Another area that's been quite um, important from a compliance perspective is around surveillance and yes. um, areas where you require or you typically relied on in the past quite um, a range of physical security controls. So typically, you know, trading floors have very restricted access. All yeah. phone lines have monitoring on them. People are not allowed to take personal mobile phones onto trading floors, those kind of things. Um, there has had to be quite a lot of work done to actually go and put some of that technology into people's homes. Can, can you talk a little bit how they've done that? Because that, that's really interesting because, I mean, I know the, the regulators have relaxed some of those reporting mm -hmm. requirements, uh, but, but nonetheless, you're absolutely right. There are all kinds of restrictions about taking in your personal mobile phone and, and, mm -hmm. and personal devices. Um, obviously, if you're at home, you can't monitor that so easily. Um, so how have, how, how, from what you've seen, how have banks been dealing with that? Most banks are now able to uh, use uh, digital calls. Um, you know, we're on a digital call now to, re to record this. The everyday business, for those who need to use recorded lines, they have now been able to install equipment so that people can work on recorded lines from home. But I do think that there are some controls that have had to be relaxed in the sense that you will not have those physical barriers. Um, you, you can require and ask people to leave their mobile phone in a separate room or whatever, but given it's all in the same house, those are the ones that have had to be relaxed. Um, and I think it's down then to the professionalism of the employees to try and, and replicate the spirit of it as, as much as they can. Uh, yes. And up to then the monitoring to really pick up differences. Interestingly, um, we, some of the banks we speak to said that they're monitoring from a conduct perspective has noticed that people's behaviour actually improves at home. So people oh, really? use foul language and <laughs> things like that when they're working from home, which is curious. Well, that's for that's interesting development. Maybe it's a change of environment has uh, changed their psyche a bit. I don't know. Um, I, actually, Kerry, this is where I'd love to bring you in. You look at compliance, things like that. And of course, paperwork has always been mm. a big part of your job. And also you have to deal with, you know, traders and people like that uh making sure that they're complying with 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 the various um uh regulatory reporting and, and conduct requirements so how, how have you been dealing with this at mufg you're right you know banks have been wedded to paper and we were talking earlier about um uh, about the two percent of uh, uh, of our staff that, that remain sort of in the office uh those two percent were either core technology and buildings people 
or they were people uh, who were looking after documentate physical documentation like trade finance documentation for example where it is delivered by courier and, and there's no getting away from that um, but the, the point was made absolutely earlier what what uh, what I think did happen and certainly happened uh, for us is a lot of the a lot of the sort of the digital agenda where we're using robotics and so on um, you know that that was accelerated you know the, the the scanning of documentation if it was happening in in pockets in in in, in certain things was done whole scale as Japanese companies uh, we use a, a personal seal or a, or a hanko um, it's called which is a, essentially a, a signature stamp that is absolutely physical on documents moving around the building and we basically saw that we would do then this electronically um, putting an electronic seal on it and, and moving the document around uh, through electronic workflow um, you know, we use robotics to scan files and to move information around, again, putting it on, on databases that were then accessible by staff. So, um, you know, it really did accelerate some of the use of robotics, some of that digitization that we see in the industry. You know, look, you know, to your point about sort of monitoring some of those controls that we see um, in the workplace. Again, you know, your 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 back office could be 40 miles away from your front office um, so you're not sitting next to the traders anyway but you can still monitor what they're doing and whether your that 40 mile just happens to be at your home or whether that 40 mile away is, is is in an office with your other colleagues in the back office you're still doing the same role so um, yeah I, I think eventually the, the the digital agenda was accelerated uh, and many banks built on what they were or starting to do or have done. Um, everyone's at sort of different scales of, uh, of evolution, if you like, in terms of the digital agenda. But what it did do, it certainly accelerated that. And wanting to keep hold of those accelerated solutions that banks are now operating under is kind of key when we do get back to the office. Right. OK. Actually, you could... Stay with me on this one, um, Gary, as I'm sure you must deal a lot with supervisors. Um, uh, so maybe you could pick up on this one first, uh, this question. You know, how has remote working impacted work and interaction with those supervisors, many of, many of whom themselves, of course, are working remotely? And, you know, what, what new arrangements and patterns of interaction have sprung up as a result? All financial institutions, you know, safety and soundness is the, is, is the heart of everything that we do. And that includes maintaining those sort of strong lines of communication with regulators and with supervisors at any time of crisis. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and, and this was, if you like, the same thing, but on steroids. There was absolutely um, uh, an, an increase in communication uh, with, with regulators. Um, it became uh, very frequent. It became, you know, quite a a, a a very set of sort of topics that were talked about. And, and as I said, it became a very regular thing and very frequent. And I can imagine this was across the industry. But I think that it was what was interesting was that there was I, I sort of um, uh, noticed a, a, a pattern changing, if you like. At the very, very outset, the regulator was interested 
in the continuity of service to its customers yes, uh, and, how it, and, and, and how it was getting um, the workforce mobilized would would working from home affect the, the the service that we're providing to our customers so the initial uh, focus was on the physical aspects of mobilizing that workforce to be remote then it kind of more transitioned into so if you like that was the operational resilience of the of the company okay it then moved more whilst not ignoring it but then i think more focus came to the financial resilience of the company so what impact is covid-19 having on business what impacts it having on the client on the risk profile on liquidity and so on so the initial was the operational resilience, which I think then transitioned more focus on the financial resilience. Notwithstanding the, you know, are operations still running smoothly? Is everything controlled? Are you doing the right things? So yeah. I think that that to me was the the shift. But absolutely, the you know, the, there was, as you say, you know, regulators were working remotely themselves. But absolutely, there was no uh, there was no kind of vacuum at all. The communication, the frequency of communication increased, um, as it would during any time of crisis. And, and I think that interaction um, was was valuable from both sides. Yeah, I, it's just quite interesting. I was speaking to a um, senior uh, central banker a few weeks ago, and even he was very impressed with the way banks have managed this transition to remote working and to manage to stay in touch with supervisors and and so on. Heather, um, what have you seen in this area with the banks uh, that, that you work with? I mean, what sort of things have you picked up on? To echo what Kerry said, I've seen that real focus, really focused supervisory conversations continuing um, and to actually enable that, uh, the regulators made some, some decisions to actually cancel for some of the stress testing for this year, to delay yes. some of the consultation processes and they pushed out timelines for 52 out of their 80 planned initiatives okay. to really accommodate this. And I think that was a, you know, a very practical and pragmatic response, which enabled them to really focus um, their efforts directly with the banks on the things that were the highest priority from a, a customer harm and a financial stability perspective, yeah. uh, which I think was, was a very effective approach. Um, I and mean, one of the key consultation processes that um, is out there is around uh, operational resilience. Yeah, and, and so far banks seem to have um, withstood that very well. <laughs> Yes, um, I think the deadline for the consultation process responses is has been pushed back so that lessons from the COVID experience can be factored in. Um, but I think the timing will actually be good in terms of that being able to then feed into uh, any policy statements that should be due to come out next year. What are the dangers in having so many staff work at home? You know, some of them are flat sharing. So you think about potential leaking of sensitive information, getting hacked because maybe they don't have the same firewalls as you have in a bank. The potential for fraud, such as employees fiddling figures or hiding problems. And how are banks countering these threats? Of course, they had to deal with them really quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating area, actually. And um, yeah. it's quite interesting to look at in the context of, of how some of the trends and around threats from cyber attacks have also been maturing. So 
2019, the um, number of direct cyber attacks actually went down by 11% and security breaches down by 27%. What this okay. shows is that banks actually have been investing in security and it's starting to have an effect. But what's happened then is that the attackers are moving to sort of more indirect channels to try and access um, data or to, to be able to hack organizations. And to that end, there's been a huge increase in uh, phishing and trying to get yeah. hold of personal credentials. So the average um, emails that people uh, received on, on Gmail, for example, during the pandemic that were of nature of phishing or malware were 18 million a day um, in the early months. A malicious URL hit by people hitting on sort of fake sites and things like that increased 260% between February and March. Yeah, that's huge. A massive area of concern in terms of um, people and, and people's ability to keep their organization safe. Broad research over years has shown that when people feel disconnected from their organizations, they're much more likely to be tempted to mm. facilitate or enable fraud. And similarly, they're much more, um, they're much less vigilant and could be more yeah. easily caught out by these phishing scams. But actually, we don't see people being disconnected. We see people uh, still feeling quite connected with their organizations. So there's a bit of a bouncing effect. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because I was reading somewhere that, that you know, the, these people do these attacks. They kind of trawling through people's LinkedIn profiles and, you know, Facebook. I mean, there's some of this stuff really is, um, like I put it, uh, they, they go about it in very organized ways. Um, so I guess, I guess it's impressive that, that, that banks have, um, managed to cope with that. Kerry, this is where maybe I could bring you in. You know, how, how have you been dealing with these challenges at MUFG? The technological working environment is is, is virtually the same uh, as it is in the bank. So you, you've got the same security protocols, um, whether you're whether you're logging in from your home PC, um, when you get through to your 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 bank infrastructure, um, the security around that is the same as if you were sitting at your desk. Um, so. From a from a hacking perspective, um, I, you know, I I I think you know that there, there is no real increase in risk. But exactly uh, as we said just now, the real uh, where where we've seen a, a, an increase or or where we anticipated an increase, if you like, it is that person clicking on a mail. Uh, unknowingly, there, there was a big focus on on information security. Uh, making sure that employees uh, had their training, that that was that that was increased, that they got strong training, that there was regular communications on warning them about the the, the possibility of uh, of those kind of uh, of those kind of vulnerabilities that you have where where you're not constantly sort of reminded in the office place. So it was a it was more on a on, on a very sort of uh, information sharing basis. Uh, staff training, staff communication, reminding people how to handle potential threats, how they should work in a safe manner. If you're working in an environment with someone else uh, at, at home, you know, make sure you log off your PC, uh, don't leave anything lying around. You know, so those kind of things are just some very practical reminders to staff 
and that communication um, continuously, you know, through, through, throughout the pandemic, that connectivity is still there. Um, and having done that from the from the beginning, I think it's you know it's it's what staff uh, they they get used to doing now. So it was the it was that communication that reminder to encourage staff to raise any issues, etc. It's just often people who are the weakness rather than the actual Absolutely. technology. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. that's a very good point. It's a very good point. Actually, Kerry, just to wrap up, I'd like to get your thoughts on the post-COVID-19 world. How do you think bank business models and their operating models are going to evolve going forward? I've been working in the city for over 40 years putting on my suit every day, getting on the train, going to work, entering the office and coming home again. So, you know, this turns that on its head. Um, although I think back to a point I made earlier, you know, I don't think we will ever get to, well, not immediately. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that we would ever get to a point where we have all of the workforce not in the office space. Nevertheless, I really don't think we will ever go back to having 100% of the people working in the office. So I think we will see a, a hybrid model. So it, it sort of champions that more flexible approach, that blended approach to working. Obviously, that's going to uh, impact uh, the real estate requirements of, of, of companies and will also, back to the, the earlier point, you know, it does accelerate that digital solution within the financial services who, you know, as banks, you know, I can, can buy a new motorbike, um, I can uh, get the insurance online by putting in the registration, I can pay for it electronically, and I've got all the documents in my inbox. You know, banks are behind that. Um, so I think it will accelerate that those digital solutions. It will then also lead to a workforce that um, gets used to or, or is as effective not working in the office and being able to work from home. So that footprint of, of banks changes. And you could see in the future, you might have a core office, a smaller office, if yeah. you like, uh, in, in the city. But then you could have satellite locations, I don't know, around the M25, uh, okay. where people can congregate to on a, on a regular basis to keep in touch with the company and to have those face-to-face -face, uh, working opportunities, etc. But then also, you know, they, they then work from home if that's what they want to do. But So to have sort of a, a smaller hub, but with some satellite locations that could be, you know, you could have two satellite locations, one main hub, but then, you know, with flexible offices, um, you could, you know, you could hire a flexible office working for, for, for six months for a particular project and then you and then you say goodbye to it again. So I, I think a more flexible approach to the real estate um, and a digital agenda will be uh, what comes out of uh, out of COVID when banks get back to doing business uh, as, as whatever the new normal is but along those lines. That's a very interesting concept, the satellite offices. Um, I mean, I mean, Heather, I'm sure at Accenture you've been giving a lot of thought to um, how, how banks might look after after COVID-19 and their, their operating business models. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? 
I agree. There will be significant change for banks and customers alike. Uh, customer behaviours are already changing. 70% of customers are now actively using digital banking, and it was 40% pre-COVID. They're much more demanding of the banks in terms of the ability to service things online and in digital channels. And I think this will really help energize banks to drive forward digital and data-driven agendas that they'd wanted to do, where you know risk decisioning can use more analytics if the format is in an electronic manner and decisions will be able to be got back quicker to customers. So I think it's really exciting. Any final thoughts from either of you before we um, wrap up? I think actually that last comment, there you go. we are entering a, an extremely exciting phase of banking. Um, yeah. We've got a huge opportunity to change. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting times ahead. If there's a silver lining to the cloud, this is it. COVID seems to have been, been a, a great accelerator or, or, of trends. But uh, anyway, well, well on, on, on that very interesting note, I'd like to really thank both of you for, for participating in this podcast and, and thank you for your very interesting thoughts and ideas. Thanks again. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you would like to listen to more of our regulatory podcasts, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. And you can also subscribe via Acast, Google Podcasts and Apple iTunes. And finally, I'd like to wish everyone listening to stay safe and well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.